You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 38 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined here always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, Brendan. It's um, kind of the middle of the holiday period. I'm on a couple of weeks off, so just enjoying some downtime, uh, you know, catching up on some stuff that I've sort of fallen behind on, you know, TV shows, movies, uh, some games, <laughs> and just some, some stuff for the channel, uh, which is, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been nice to not have to wake up at a set time every day and check my emails and, you know, <laughs> just a bit relaxing. How about you? <laughs> you, still in, you still in Colorado? Yeah, so I'm still snowed in on top of a mountain. Um, we got more snow last night. I think we'll be able to get out tomorrow. Uh, just like yesterday was particularly bad because it was like literally just black ice. So <laughs> actually, I think the more snow might might help us, but we'll see. Um, so just chilling, chilling on top of the mountain with this bad internet. Yeah, anyway, Hayden, it's, all- um, it's almost the end of 2021. And today, Hayden and I are going to be talking... Or not be talking, we're going to be going over our biggest level ups of, in Flesh and Blood in 2021, which is crazy to think, right? If we think about Flesh and Blood a year ago, I mean, so much has happened. <laughs> it's just, it's unbelievable to think that we started Arsenal Pass maybe nine months ago and probably 12 months ago, I was barely even playing the game, right? Like, you know, I played a little bit at the start, but wasn't really playing a lot. And the thing about where I am now, it feels like I've been playing for, you know, like two, three years to think about it all happened in 2020. It's just crazy. It's been a wild ride. But yeah, Hayden, Hayden and I have uh, collected five points each of our biggest level ups. You know, some of them might be the same. There might be some overlap. But anyway, it's going to be interesting to see what our biggest takeaways were from 2020 mm-hmm. regarding Flesh and Blood. But Hayden, the news. Well, no, no real news this week. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's the holiday period. It's pretty quiet. I mean, there was a story that went up on the Fab TCG website, which is a story about Lexi. I think it's called An Adventure or something. And it involves lexi and a bard uh, and a smith and a magician which is interesting so if you are into the law side of flesh and blood or you know you want some speculation about what we might see in everfest uh, because the story is directly related to everfest it's directly related to everfest sorry go and um go and check it out on the website on the uh fab tcg website it's uh it's quite a long read but it's, it's interesting and it's, it's really well written so i wanted to shout that out but yeah otherwise i mean no kind of news from our side um <clears throat> on the youtube front we've still got ch- uh, videos going up on the channel uh we've got our usual, you know, time in the round every week, still going up. We've got the pod, of course, which you're listening to right now. And then we still have some gameplay videos going up as well. We've done a bit of a, a farewell tour to Welcome to Wraith. Uh, we had a classic constructed Welcome to Wraith only game go up uh, yesterday, which is, you know, an awesome game. I had a lot of fun playing that. Uh, I know you did, Brendan. <laughs> Maybe more fun than I did. And then, uh, of course, we have our, our sealed game that we played last week. Uh, and we do also have a deck tech coming this week i think by the time this uh, pod drops it'll be out or about to be out so it's going to kind of round out the year for us yeah i do have to say i do slightly disagree with your sentiment on the news <laughs> i would say that's huge news to finally get announced the bard um oh. i really hope that we do see <laughs> we do cool. see a young bard in the set magician magician is interesting right are we getting another wizard what is it um and obviously you think you said there was like a smith or something but yeah. everybody's been waiting for the bard so hopefully we get our young bard just a preview of the adult bard we'll be getting in the set after that but hayden <laughs> let's talk about your week in flesh and blood you're riling everyone up with the bard talk you know um yeah i mean this week's been it's been pretty quiet it's been nice to have some downtime haven't had a 
a fixed testing schedule, just been getting in games, you know, preparation for nationals, which, you know, hopefully that still gets to go ahead in end of January. So feeling a lot more confident about sort of where I sit with the class constructor format and, and draft, um, did a lot of drafts towards the end of this month, which has been great. And now just really focusing on class constructed, trying to, you know, lock in the deck that I want to play and, and just, um, you know, work out matchups and things like that. So yeah, feeling, feeling pretty good. Uh, how about yourself? I guess it's kind of been a week off for you, right? Yeah, it's a, this is the longest I've I think this is the longest I've taken off of flesh and blood since we kind of started our daily testing. So yeah, it feels weird, right? All of my skills are just excellent going away from me. <laughs> yeah. At extremely fast speeds and I'll just be totally washed up by the time I get home. But just chilling, sitting in the mountains, enjoying nature and hanging out. Uh, all right, Hayden. There is no command to cook out because it is so cold up here in Colorado. So let's just go ahead and head into the main topic of the pod. Yeah, before we do, I do just want to put a call out for questions to the command to cook out. I think we're pretty much up to date with our questions that we've had submitted. Uh, we're going to leave off any, I think there might be one remaining question, which we'll get to in January. But yeah, just putting a call out for questions for the command to cook out. You can send those in to us, you know, in the YouTube comments below. You can DM us on Twitter or uh, you can email them into arsenalpassfab at gmail.com and you know, questions from, I guess, questions about the meta, questions about, you know, heroes, decks, cards, or whatever you want it to be, you know, play styles, any questions are welcome and a great opportunity to get your question uh, on the pod and, and our sort of take on those questions. But yeah, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of a, a quicker one this week. Let's move on to, as you say, the main topic, our biggest level ups of flesh and blood in 2021. And Twenty twenty one, as you said, it's it's been a marquee year for flesh and blood. I mean, it, you you said crazy to think a year ago. A year ago, we didn't even have an OP program really. I mean, we had we hadn't had the calling series announced yet for the US. We'd had a handful of callings uh, in New Zealand, Australia, and the original callings, and we hadn't even had skirmish yet. That's how crazy it was that twelve months ago, skirmish was I don't even think announced yet at the time. So uh, it's been it's been a crazy crazy old twelve months, um, and what a crazy, you know, sort of first year for us as Arsenal Pass as well. Like you said, Brendan, we started in Monarch, so less than less than nine months ago, even uh, that we we kicked off, and you know that's wild. <laughs> that's included our first meeting, you know, me and you, uh, from Orlando to you know some road to nationals wins to you know developing our our team and our our friendship as well between you know the, the group that we have and just making a lot of new friends in the game as well. It's it's been an awesome sort of you know, past few months and then uh, 12 months with 2021. So I want to talk about our biggest level ups, but before we get into sort of the, I guess, gameplay level ups and how we've gotten better as players and the things that we're focused on and, and maybe where we're going to continue to focus in 2022, what have been some of your personal highlights of, of 2021 in Flesh and Blood, Brennan? Yeah, so I would, I would start it off by saying I met some of like my best friends and the people that I'm currently spending the most time with on a day-to-day basis uh, during this year and through this game. And it's just insane to think that I met Hayden, Dante, Zach, Tim, Dan, and like so many other people literally less than a year ago. Because these people are, you know, some of these people I spend, you know, at least two hours a day every day with. And the other people, you know, I've met, you know, people like Rob Seigel in Dallas and Vegas and Cincinnati, just all over the United States. It's just been a ridiculous ride. Um, and speaking of that, I mean, throughout this year, I was able to travel across the United States, not too much, right? But I'd never been to a place like Cincinnati before. And with Road to Nationals, I traveled to Oklahoma, I traveled to Kansas, and it was just a wild ride. And it's, I think that next year, you know, I'll be changing that phrase from traveling across the United States to traveling across the world. So very, very excited for that. Uh, another point is, so I did launch 
the Fab Gauntlet this year, which we've toned back because the work was immense <laughs> for the payoff. But that was a really interesting project to your know, project experiment. It was a tournament server that we ran every day on Monday um, where we were able to host like very, very good prizes and you know, pretty big events, like 50 to 80 people sometimes and stream it. And Dante and I would commentate it on Twitch and then post it on YouTube. So although that time has passed, it was a really cool thing to actually start up mm -hmm. and then watch it become successful. Cause I remember the beginning was a freaking grind. <laughs> like Dante and I used to do um, DM campaigns where we would personally direct message every single person in the server, trying to get them to sign up for that Monday. And this is when we had like 16 people. It was brutal. Yeah. Um, and then my final point, yeah, my final point here is that I actually started winning. All right, so <laughs> I think I had a, I had a pretty successful, you know, 2019 and I guess like early 2020 of flesh and blood. Um, but you know, 20, uh, 2021 was really kind of my breakout year. So especially in the road to national seasons and I had a top eight in the calling season. It was just, it was just a great kind of year for me in progression as a player and just, you know, development. So yeah, looking forward to 2022. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I think I just wanted to shout out the work that you and Dante did on the Fab Gauntlet. It was at a time where there was, you know, very little to no in-person play in Europe and in North America. And, that provided, you know, an outlet for some, you know, players, kind of the extension of the skirmish season for these like competitive players to, to jump in or people who wanted to to grind and and um, play with sort of an international community. And it was it was an awesome thing to have. You know, you had players like Davis Kingsley, you obviously had like Rob Seigel and stuff in there at times. And, um, you know, I, I managed to jump in and, and play one as well, which is awesome. It's such a cool experience. So I just wanted to shout out that that what you guys offered at that time with the support of a couple of stores was was just fantastic. For, for me, uh, you know, some of the, the personal things. I mean, it, yeah, it's got to be very similar to you, the, the people I've met over this past year through playing Flesh and Blood and through, you know, of course, Arsenal Pass. I mean, my trip to Orlando that I was very fortunate to be able to make from all the, you know, all the way over the other side of the world, the uh, the 24-hour trip that I was able to make to, to Orlando and meet so many awesome people, uh, both that, you know, I'd spoken to previously through just, of course, yourself, Brendan, uh, you know, Zach, uh, Tim, Dante, just meeting everyone and then also being able to meet some of our Arsenal Pass listeners and viewers was just such an awesome experience and I'm so grateful to be able to have done that. I feel so lucky. It just kind of worked at the right time with kind of the situation. Um, I don't, for instance, I don't think I'd be able to make that trip right now. So very, very awesome mm -hmm. experience. And then just what the journey I think we've taken as as players, I think has been huge. And I'm obviously going to talk about that from like a, a level up side, but just like the, the personal standpoint has been it's been such a great experience, you know, this, this idea of like international testing team and um, working on different formats and, and learning and, and progressing as like a, as like a, a person as well, I think has been awesome. So yeah, I think those are my two kind of yeah. biggest takeaways. It's crazy to think how much of an impact this little game has had on your life so far. Like it's huge. It's, it, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't even think it's up for a debate debate at this point that it's probably changed your life right it has literally been a life changing experience this game it's just wild to think and and we're only in the very very beginnings of this this journey so i don't know <laughs> kind of a little bit of a little bit of sentiment yeah i was gonna say enough enough sentimental and, yeah let's let's move yeah, on to some level ups <laughs> go for it all right well, well why don't i kick us off so yeah as Brent said we're going to talk through some of just our biggest sort of you know level ups in play and and what's made what we think has made us better flesh and blood players in 2021 if you know if we think that i, I think we've both sort of progressed as players um i don't know how so <laughs> <laughs> my first one is that it's an interesting one and it's that a theory is perhaps your biggest tool in deck design and game plan design um 
or at least it is for me. And, and what I mean by this is that you can go and you can build decks and, and test them and tweak them and tune them. And, and that takes a lot of time. Um, and one thing that I really found this year is that if you have a really good grounding in theory of what you want your decks to do, how you want to play things out, card interactions, you know, you, you find these like really cool two card interactions or you understand how games ebb and flow. So like the, the flow of a game of, you know, the, the three phases, the beginning, the mid and end game. Then you have this real advantage, I think, on building decks and game plans. And a really good example of this, I think, is like the game plan that we came up with against fatigue, you know, in the chain matchup. So, you know, like for, I think, two weeks or so when when sort of snags had become big, it was like, okay, like this is snag is now the card that fatigue plays to beat chain. But then before we'd even like played games, we just, we came up with ideas, right? We, we had theory about, okay, what if you do this? What if you get to recycle cards? What if you stack this for the end game and you don't care about rift binds? And yeah, it's actually, uh, it was a crazy concept too. And I think you're like, what was crazy about that concept um, was that, you know, we were going from not really stacking our decks to trying to play a game plan that only centered around those few cards being in the perfect positions at the end of the deck. And like you said, um, the theory is so important. I think it just gets more important as we expand the hero pool and expand the card pool because the work requirement and time requirement to test everything is it just becomes virtually impossible, right? It's huge. And and rather than trying, and I think this is something that I did in the past was like, just throw stuff at a wall and see what sticks, you know, try as many things yeah. as possible. And really we're now taking a step back. A lot of those things I can think about and go, actually that just, I just know that won't work. It just doesn't, it doesn't sit in my sort of what I know is accepted knowledge. And, and sometimes there's things that break that. And I've definitely been proven wrong over the year, but I would say like 90% of the time, the expectation I have with like the theory I lay out is, is probably how it's going to work. And that saves so much time. It saves so much effort. It, you know, it means that we can be more efficient with like, playing games it means that my games are more enjoyable to be honest because i'm not just trying random crap to be honest at an armory event like i get to you know i might have an idea and it might not be perfect but like i know there's seeds of it there because the theory is there and, and you know like nine times out of ten that's true but then one time out of ten actually my, my theory is not correct and you know it does feel bad and it's fine but we just move on but if that's happening eight out of ten nine out of ten times instead of one out of ten times it's just a waste of my time and energy i think and i think it would be less enjoyable to me so i think this kind of level up has both been great for progression in the game and you know building better decks and building better game plans and designing better game plans into matchups but also just my enjoyment of the game because i'm spending less dead time uh where i'm having less fun yeah and i just want to give a shout out to dante for that because his theories tend to fail us i think it's nine out of ten times <laughs> no it's just funny back in um back in the monarch format when we did have the chain deck and um it was becoming quite dominant in our testing group i remember dante was um, definitely going out of his comfort zone and building decks and putting a lot of passion and a lot of oh, just a lot of himself into it, right? And then he just played against Chain and just got smacked. And I've never, oh man, some of those some of those responses, it was rough. He'd have to go take a break. A few days later, he'd come back. But yeah, for sure, the theory. I just wanted to get a little sentiment in because it was just a hilarious thing to re kind of recollect on from the Monarch format. But you're totally right. Like approaching based on theory is important, and then you take that theory. And you test it, um, and you test it, you know, for the practicality in testing, and you will switch up the cards and switch up the game plans, all of that. But yep. in order to kind of pick from this massive pool, you definitely need to be approaching with theory from yeah, the beginning. You start with an idea rather than start with a group of cards and then try and find a thread between those. You already start with the thread and you build around that. And I think that means that 
when you start building out decks, you have like really solid cores as opposed to like, you know, really solid sort of like a few interactions and then you're trying to find things in between there. And it's really about like, and if I, if I break down what that theory is, it's like, okay, like how do I attack a game? What ratios of cards do I need? What are the key pain points of my deck? What do I want my average four card hand to look like? What are my best five card hands look like? How do I get through a mid game? But there's all these interactions. What does a defensive slant do to my deck? What does an aggressive slant do to my deck? Like there's, there's these kind of steps you can go through. And, and we did talk about this. We've talked about these kind of things in like our deck building podcasts and our, um, and on Patreon, we did a, a, a game plan strategy uh, pod as well for our patrons, which is like, I think really dives into this. Um, so I won't go too deep into it because we are kind of going through five of these and it'd be quite big, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just this idea and it's a seed that I think will continue to grow for me over the next year. And, and I'm sure beyond as the game matures and, and I mature as, as a player in this game and our card pool develops as well. I think it's going to be, this is why I kind of put this up number one, because I think it's going to continue to be really important as the card pool grows. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. So my first one here is going to be events. So 2021 really was um, kind of the premiere of competitive flesh and blood and the premiere of events, right? Um, in-person events. We started out with skirmish, which started online. Then we got back into person, headed into road to nationals and into the calling season. And the the difference of callings from playing you know on your kitchen table at armories was just massive and we saw an explosion in the growth of the player bases that these events were hosted at so in the united states north america just in general europe and asia it was just incredible to see this you know everybody kind of grow as a player and the the competitive level of flesh and blood just increase almost exponentially but i learned so 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 much from playing these events from grinding them, from testing for them. The first the first real success I saw was in the Road to Nationals, um, the Road to Nationals series. And that was the first time I had really, really committed um, to trying to be very, very good in, at a deck and to try to break the meta. And I think that we, at that point, we did. So it was really cool to see how that work paid off and see what worked in testing and what didn't. Um, so <laughs> moving through, moving forward to the future, I learned so much throughout this year through playing these events, you know, especially some of these callings, like these, you go through these very long events, tons of people, and there's just so much to account for. And it's just it, that kind of experience is invaluable um, in terms of increasing your development as a player. And I think that it will help me out a lot as we move forward into the series in 2022 with the Pro Tour and eventually Worlds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the experience of events is you cannot replace it. And I think I would agree with us every, although I didn't get to play obviously as many events as you this year. Uh, I did get to play, be it all li- online. Uh, I get to play two Road to Nationals and I did get to play two Callings um, in a ProQuest. Yeah. I think each of those events gave me uh, gave me takeaways. I had takeaways from the, those events about things that I was doing well as a player and things that I wasn't doing well as a player. And I think being introspective about those, those events is, is great. I think walking away from the Orlando Calling, a lot of things that we had talked about in testing and done in testing was able to be you know executed i think it was my first opportunity to probably play an event since you know really starting a bit more rigorous testing and, and trying to get serious about the game and i think that's yeah i think that's really important so i, I couldn't agree more Brendan. <laughs> yeah i just want to give a shout out to those 12 plus hour online skirmish events <laughs> and how much that up. has prepared my that has prepared my mental game for the future because there is nothing worse than that <laughs> oh yeah i loved waking up at 3 a.m to play some skirmishes and see i think i did it twice and just never 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 again <laughs> and then you run into a draw that that must oh, have felt goodness. great yeah anyway we'll move <laughs> on um 
My second kind of level up is an interesting one, and it's a bit of a it's a a lot of my level ups I think have been journeys or experiences over this year, this past year, and one of these is a, my learning of just how deep the draft format and flesh and blood is, and I think it's something that I've only just come to appreciate recently, and. I want to start by just telling a little bit about this. So, Welcome to Wraith, I think was like it's a it's a for, it's a format that I love, the sealed format, the limited format, the draft format, just limited overall, uh, particularly sealed. But the draft format's great as well, and there's some really cool archetypes in there. But you know, we don't have the talent system. There's a lot of like surface level stuff. You get into Monarch, and I think that's when we really start to obviously realize that you know it's the first talented heroes. And I didn't spend enough time with that draft format, I think. And looking back, I was pretty bad at it, to be honest. I thought I was all right, but I think I'm pretty bad at it. And we get into Tales, and it's obviously a format for this season. You know, we've had, what was it, three three limited callings? Um, and Nationals has draft portion in it. So it's been a bit more of a focus, and I've been able to play a bit more of this limited format. <laughs> and it's, it is, it's so deep. Like, the seal format is not perfect, and I, I agree with people who say that. I think I'm less aggressive on that than some others but the draft format is phenomenal and it is so so skill intensive i think in terms of the way that you navigate draft portion the way that you understand how cards uh go up and down their value go uh, goes up and down depending on your seat so how you're drafting the, the hero that you're going to draft into what your players around you are prioritizing as cards and then the actual archetype within that that you go in. and i can give some examples of this right so say you're your seat that you end up drafting into ends up being like an ice all time deck. And so early on, maybe your first five or six picks, you kind of, you know, you get like two good earth cards, you get like an ice quake or something and a, um, you know, like a, a, a blue weave ice or whatever, you, you get some stuff. And then you've also got some, uh, like an earth card and you've got a briar card and you've kind of, you've hedged a little bit and then ice starts to open up for you. And some of the cards that you could be taking, the, 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 like the value of those change. So if ice is really open to you from your right, for instance, then, you know, there's the likelihood that you get to wheel some of these ice cards increases. Whereas, you know, if there's an, potentially an all-time player to your left, maybe there's two to your left, some of the all-time cards, they they go up in value. You know, those those cards are not going to wheel. So there's like this real ebb and flow to the draft format. And that's just, that's really surface level. To be honest, it goes even deeper than that, I think, in terms of just the cards and how they interact with each other in the archetype. And the big reason for that is that Flesh and Blood is not a card-by-card -card game. All the cards are modal, right? So... In any given matchup, your cards are going to be doing different roles and they interact with each other cards so differently. Uh, and those cards have different importance depending on like how you want to win the game, how your opponent's trying to win the game, how you draw them, how you pitch them. So yeah, it's probably been, to be honest, one of the biggest level ups I've had towards the end of this year is just understanding how deep the draft format is in Flesh and Blood. And I'm really excited to see what happens with our next set after Everfest and what that draft format looks like. Because I think, I think we're going to see players understand this more as well. And as we have limited specialists come into the game, I think they're really going to start to hopefully talk about it and we'll see just how, how crazy I think uh, the draft format can be. Yeah, it's definitely a niche that uh, hasn't been filled quite yet. It's sort of a limited focused uh, content creation. I'm interested to see if we get that, but I totally agree with you that flesh and blood drafting is a very unique skill. Um, whether it, you know, you can draft in other games, but it's not 100% transferable to this game. So I think mm -hmm. that flesh and you know, drafting flesh and blood is very, very much a learned, um, a learned skill for, you know, a player and being able to participate that at a, at a high level in either your nationals or at some of these limited callings in 2020 is going to suit you very, very well for the upcoming um, limited tournaments in 2022. Yeah. Sorry, 2021. <laughs> I think I said 2020. <laughs> yeah, 2021 to 2022. I, I, look, yeah. I, I, will go, I will go out and, and say this pretty clearly. I don't think we've seen 
players at you know even close to being the pinnacle of of limited players so far because i think from you know just watching the events and seeing how people have drafted and seeing people have talked about it um that knowledge is continuing to develop i think and and i don't by any means think that i'm one of the best limited players um but i think i'm getting better and i think my understanding is starting to develop that there's way 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 more to this than uh than meets the eye and and I think anyone who sort of says that, oh, you know, the limited format is like variance based and it's luck based. I actually think that the the current draft format is for, like far, far and away has less variance in it than the current class constructor format. So <laughs> for sure. So my next one here is going to be consistent consistency and testing schedule. So we did implement the kind of every days in 2021, which you absolutely do not need to be doing if you want to get better. But there was something very special about just playing the game every day um, and especially playing it with the right people, right? The people I was able to surround myself with in testing, I give all of my, <laughs> I contribute all of my success to them. Um, you know, being able to wake up at any given morning and test with people like Hayden Dale, Zach Bunn, Dan McKay, Dante Delfico. It was just an incredible um, resource. And I think that anybody who's trying to get better at this game, the first, one of the first things that you should you should focus on is surrounding yourself with a group of players that help push you to be better um, or just push you to achieve your goal, whether that's to be better or to have more fun. Um, but creating that little community around you will help you just, I don't know, <laughs> get there as faster, I guess, whether it's having more fun or getting better. In my case, it was getting better. And I think that all of my development was attributed to the people that were, you know, were on that grind with me. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. So as we head into the next year, uh, will our testing schedule stay the same um, or will it differ? Not to not totally sure, but I think that, you know, our sort of um our sort of kind of I guess proof of proof of concept this year, I would say it was relatively successful, right? Like we had a very successful um road to national season and I think we overall had a successful calling um calling season as well. So I was very I was very happy with it and it was just you know, I'm very grateful that I was able to um participate in that. Yeah. Yeah, I think the big, if you were to extrapolate some of the takeaways there, it's like it's coming up with some sort of consistency. It's understanding what you need and um, finding like-minded people who can who can help you achieve that and you help them achieve that. So whether that's, you know, testing every day, that's that might be a step too far for a lot of people and that's fine. But maybe it's, hey, every Saturday we get together and we, we, we play for four hours and we have like a really clear idea of what we want to get out of it and all of us want to win a ProQuest this season or all of us want to top eight at ProQuest or whatever it is you know if you've got common goals I think that's great and you can push each other to help achieve those or it's like hey uh, I want to find the best deck for this event or hey I don't want to play one of the big three decks but I want to play a deck that I think is really strong in top eight at ProQuest like your, your goals could be whatever to be honest it could just be I want to win Armory every week for a month <laughs> like you know like it doesn't it doesn't matter but if you've got a, a local group or an international group or whatever it might be, but if you if you can find some like-minded players, as Brendan says, I think it's huge. And it could just be one player. Um, it could be two, three, four, five players. I know there's some groups out there who are like semi, you know, they'll, they'll test semi regularly and they're like, you know, nine, 10 players sort of things. And they make it work because they all know each other or whatever it might be. So yeah, I think it's, it's sure. a, a big takeaway. I think focused and data-driven testing is um, a big takeaway for me as well. That was something we implemented in 2020. While it's not as fun as jamming games, um, being able to kind of look back on all of our data and all of our games and have notes was extremely helpful for kind of fine-tuning the final things we needed on a deck to really make it great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that sometimes like 
I've walked away from testing sessions and then two, two or three days later be like, what did I actually learn from that? Because I didn't really take notes or think about it from like a kind of high level perspective of what, what the takeaways were. Um, and there's some players that we've, we've found in testing. Like I'm not great at that, but I've got some players around me who are better at that than me, you know, like a, you know, like a Damakai, like a, like a Zach Bond. So, um, that's really helpful. But again, I think it's finding what, what you need from each thing. I do like that sometimes you can find players that are both like-minded, but also can complement each other. Uh, I think we've kind of got a bit of that with our group, which is nice. Definitely, <laughs> I'd say some of the some of the some of the personas are a bit different than the others. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we need to do one day. We need just to get like the whole team on for like a, a quick video, and everyone can see how different everyone is. We'll get into an argument within two minutes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, you know what? I'm. Whew. I did a bit of exercise this morning. I'm struggling for breath at the moment. Um, <laughs> number three. One thing I think I learned. And a, a bit of a painful lesson, I think, for me was um, spreading yourself thin on heroes can lead to being a master at none. And I, I definitely learned this the hard way through the early Tales of Aria season. I think this was, I think actually our team kind of learned this to a degree, it was like a massive detriment to our results in the early part of like the Tales constructed, right? So heading into Orlando and, and um, the start of Nationals. That was our biggest issue, right? I yeah. mean, it's it's tough to kind of analyze in retrospect because we were able to find the deck pretty quickly in Monarch. But yeah, I mean, in Tails, this is as we head into Everfest, our big takeaway from Tails is like we have to figure out kind of how to dilute responsibility and focus on, you know, have each player focus on kind of a specific thing, something they're very good at because we were a bit too spread out um, in Tails and we sort of paid for it. Yeah, and a big one for me, like from a personal perspective, is that I am very much someone who likes to understand as much as possible. So, you know, I play almost every hero and I spend time on, you know, half a dozen heroes. And I think that really hurt me to a degree where, you know, there was probably heroes that aren't my top three sort of heroes that I spent time on that I didn't, it wasn't good time spent. Like I didn't get better at those heroes necessarily. I didn't understand some of like the key interactions or the key ways to build it because I didn't have enough time to invest in it. I still spent time and probably wasn't, it was like that, there's like a middle ground, right? So I think there's some, there's like diminishing returns on some of these heroes that I spend less time on. And as soon as I start to like increase that time on some of these heroes, but not maybe in the right ways uh, or contribute a next chunk of time to get to the next step, it just really hurts. And I think there's, you know, there's certain heroes that I ended up knowing somewhat, but not knowing well. And while that's, you know, that's some benefit to understand how the game plans might play out or how the kind of the prevailing winds of, of playing that hero are in the current format is really important. Uh, there's, I, can't, I probably can't, I'm not in a position to innovate on that or to, you know, break it down and rebuild from building blocks because I don't quite understand what those are. Whereas with, you know, my other three heroes, maybe I, I can do that. Uh, so yeah, I think there's this whole balancing act and you see it. I look at someone like a Kyle McCreeth, right? Who is the guardian father, right? Like <laughs> the godfather of guardian. And, and, you know, I think obviously he's really dedicated to, one hero now somewhat to old time as well and then you've got probably you know people who have played like every hero under the sun and i think i've fallen more into that camp of like play hero spend time with them you know i spent three months playing azalea i've played a lot of rhino i've played a lot of like viscerai i've played spent periods playing through these heroes and then maybe not necessarily revisiting them and then i think you have some players who have done really well uh, maybe maybe someone like a, a matt rogers who tends to look at like two three four heroes and really understand those heroes as much as possible and get the get the rewards for that so i think there's this middle ground that I learned the hard way this year about, and that's probably my focus for 2022 is to like understand 
why I want to look at certain heroes rather than just for fun or for enjoyment necessarily. Um, I still want to do that to a degree, but at some point I need to go, okay, enough time spent. Let's, let's move on. <laughs> for sure. And you're going to laugh at my next point because I'm actually going to flip the script. I'm going to say one of my biggest takeaways was actually playing a ton of different classes and decks. And this is, what Hayden said is correct. So this is not during kind of testing and preparing for a big event, you know, when we're kind of crunching for time, but just overall in 2020, like I really expanded my hero pool and thus my understanding of the game. I think, but sorry, oh, not from one hero. I keep forgetting that. Yeah. So like before 2021, I hadn't played much outside like the Welcome to Wraith Heroes and like some dash and just being able to play everything, um, helped me understand that's just how i learn right like it's easier for me to understand how to beat something when i know how it wants to win um so the biggest <laughs> and the biggest one here is going to be learning kano so kano is an interesting one because when you first look at it you're like oh god this deck is just you don't know what's going on it feels like it's totally random and then you try to play it and it sucks and you lose every game and you're just like what get up forget this hero right but for me kano was kind of i think learning kano is one of the keys to being a good flesh and blood player like it's um, it's one of the most rewarding and skill-intensive and just tumultuous journeys you can take in this game. And it's so, so rewarding. And I'm, I'm happy that I finally picked it up and I dedicated, and I really dedicated to it, right? Like I did a, I did a hundred games of Kano and like, I think it was like 20 days. Um, and this was totally recorded on an Excel sheet, notes from every single game. And it was that class more than any other class. When I look back through those notes, you can see me getting better and better as I progress through that journey. Yeah, it's really tangible. I think that's such a cool. I honestly think that 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 piece that you did, that kind of that grind, that recording of data, is really tangible and shows you just the improvement that you took. And you could sit there and go, "Oh, this is when I learned how these cards interact," or "This is when I learned how I wanted to stack for certain end games," or "This is when I learned that like these two cards are like really powerful combinations, and so I want to arsenal this card a lot more to take advantage of that," or whatever. Or "This is where I learned that um, you know playing off the top in this matchup is better." So. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that's like a really, that's a that's an, a balance, right? So you picked up a hero like Kano, you really learned it. You went past that. So if I break it down, there's like stage one, stage two, stage three. Stage one is like somewhat understanding. You understand the hero, you understand his game plans, you play some games with it. I think that's what you're saying is like, that's taught you a lot, right? And then Kano, you took to like level three, which is like you master the hero, understand a lot about it. And then level two is like, you know, like I learn a bit about it um, and I start to learn some like other game plans and I spend some time on it. But I think that level two is maybe can be detrimental, especially when you're trying to test for events. And I think for me, like that's where I've spent a lot of hero time at and less at number three. Whereas Brendan, you probably had like three heroes at number three and then a lot of heroes at number one. Whereas I had some number of heroes at number two and very few heroes at number three which is yeah. for sure. And the, the Kano thing is also, it's just kind of about the journey because it teaches you a lot because I mean, it starts off oh. and it sucks. I mean, you just, <laughs> you lose everything. And then it gets to like, you know, level two, like you said, where it's like, it's okay, but you still don't feel like you're always in control and you feel like there's a bit of variance, but there's actually, there is a level three to Kano where you are truly dictating so much in the game. There's so much agency with that deck. It's incredible. Um, and for me, like the reason why I chose Kano is because that was the that was the hero I was most afraid of. Like Hayden, if you recall, when we did the Blitz commentary calling, I didn't know anything about Kano. I literally knew nothing. And it was Shut just me, this was big, happening? yeah, it was this big, scary black hole of like a knowledge gap in the game. And I just like, you know what? I just got, if I'm going to be good at this game, I got to be good at Kano. <laughs> I got to understand how this works. So yeah, I mean, that, that was really it. And it was just, after that, I felt like I was around a well-rounded player. <laughs> and any, and any class is easy after Kano. Wait, we'll wait till Bard comes out. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, 
it's interesting. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Kano. Uh, I've lost a lot of uh, skirmish finals with Kano, and I actually I, I punted my first ever skirmish that I played. I punted the final with Kano, uh, so you know I'm a bit scarred now. But I also did a bit of a a bit of a wizarding journey in skirmish season two to try and to try and catch up to Brendan somewhat. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, interesting. We have some I like did the wizard journey. You did the uh, the sailor journey. Yeah, I wonder who's profiting off that one. Um, you can see that we're kind of like there's two points there, and there's a lot of if there was a Venn diagram of the two points we've just had, there's like a perfect point to sit in. I think with with the heroes that you learn to play, and that's get a feel for a lot, and especially those ones that are prominent in the meta, but really understand like two or three. I think that that can be so huge, especially you know if you have the time. If you know the time, maybe it's like master one. Uh, understand the top three or four to a degree like there's 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 levels to it and it probably depends on your time but yeah there's there's some some good takeaways there i think about just some diminishing returns on spending too much time with heroes that probably don't matter um in in the current meter especially if you want to be a competitive player uh you know my time with azalea my time with olivia maybe wasn't as as wise given we were in the season they're gonna come back it'll pay off eventually surely 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 yeah i mean it, it was made it a bit easier to pick up leaks i think in testing but anyway um my was that was that yeah that was me and then you so uh this one's interesting my next my next point and this is like a this was like a an, i guess a lesson i learned and it's something that i believe like a belief that i now hold and we actually just did a, a patreon pod about this so our patrons probably are familiar with with me talking about this but my understanding or now i guess learning is that consistency is more powerful a tool than raw skill i think and it, it's at least somewhat and for now i think that could potentially change but it's important um to how i choose decks and game plans for parts of the season and it's gonna be really important to me choosing decks and game plans moving forward and i'll explain this a bit knowing a deck that has like a really consistent plan and builds to execute with that plan i think is just really powerful in flesh and blood right now and you can you can see examples of this over time right so um you've got you've got like dash you've got um you know you've got chain uh in the old format to a degree you've got briar like cheerios briar in, in this current format and these are really powerful plans they're, they're linear you could say to a degree um but they're also very consistent because the cards like have replacement level effects and i think that at the moment outweighs like playing and understanding these decks to a high degree uh, outweighs a lot of like skill cap offset so I think you can be a really good player and you can play more of like a mid-range deck or a deck that requires a lot more important choices or you know plans uh, that could be if you muck it up basically it's more detrimental to mucking up something with dash for instance and i think this has kind of been how the game has been for sort of like the last 18 months um that we're seeing this start to be more important about how you understand decks and especially where they've got consistent plans and i think that really does offset like skill cap to a degree and i think that's influencing how i choose decks and plans now because it could be a deck or a plan that i really like um but then that deck might have varying plans into a lot of different matchups and that's a lot to learn and that's a lot to master and those plans also might be really difficult to pull off like they might involve like deck stacking or uh, setting up specific five card hands and if i have a deck that i think is like close in power level to that but is a bit more linear has really consistent plans at the moment i'm probably going to play that deck because i think it offsets the the skill sort of gap that could be there if that makes sense Brendan. yeah and just just yeah and just quickly summarize some of this because we went really deep into this in we the, were so uh, deep <laughs> for sure but like if you're thinking about most of the events that we've been had exposure to so far something like a calling um the diversity in what you will face is just massive right so if you have one of these 
less linear decks. Um, sometimes you can have you know, some harder matchups and you just have to prepare for a lot more and it's a lot harder for your deck to adapt to a very diverse field. Uh, and if you're at something like a calling, where you're, you're liable to see everything and you're also liable to not see the deck that you're targeting, even if it's 40% of the format, um, it does feel like a lot of the time it is better to pick the linear deck, the, the one that's just kind of good into everything, right? The one that's making its opponent adjust to their game plan. Yeah, like if I'm painting by numbers, right? I'm doing a little painting, paint by numbers, and I use one or two colors as opposed to trying to use like seven or eight colors, I'm going to make less mistakes. I'm going to go over lines a lot, a lot, you know, less frequently, right? So <laughs> it's my analogy for uh, playing these decks that have a bit more consistent linear plans. And I think that just the power level, so if the power level increases in these non-linear decks and these decks that require, you know, multiple different game plans into different matchups and like they're just their raw power increases, then yeah, then I'm going to start to favor more of those decks again, I think. Because I feel that like me as a player, I can probably utilize some degree of, you know, like leverage of skill with those decks. Um, and I'm sure that's the same for a lot of players out there. And this is, this is again, my personal level up uh, and something that I've learned is that right now, I think any sort of like golf and skill, even no matter how minuscule it is, maybe I'm slightly better than the player across from me. Um, maybe I'm slightly worse than the player across from me. I think playing and making a decision on my deck that's a bit more around the consistency of the deck and execution of game plans um especially in these like like Brennan says events where you could run into Kano in round one you could run into Azalea or whatever and my game plans have to change when I'm playing these more consistent maybe slightly linear decks I think that's where I want to be right now and that's that's been a big learning for me I think because I've really tried and Brennan knows this a lot of the decks that I've tried to present during testing have had more complicated plans and maybe been a bit a bit less or very very non-linear I think to, to a degree for sure that's it's definitely your niche for <laughs> a long time there but um yeah totally agree with you and i think you know you can kind of extrapolate from this format as we head into other formats if that's still going to hold true yeah, we'll so my final one here i, th- I think I, I bundled i bundled two mine together on accident but my final one here is just going to be fundamentals and Hayden, you can kind of you can kind of help me rattle some of these off but you know first one deck stacking you know i thought i knew how to deck stack <laughs> back before 2021 back in the early days but I mean, honestly, compared to what we had to do with Chain, it was like, it was nothing, right? So that that taught me so much about the game, taught me so much about just, I don't know, being kind of present and aware. It's it's really tough, but once you get it down, it starts to become second nature. Um, the other one's pivot turns. Like pivot turns, utilizing pivot turns correctly in limited is really what make, make I mean, honestly, it's utilizing pivot turns in every format, but in limited, it's really what make, make makes and breaks like good players. And I think that 2021 really forced me to focus in on that, especially the Monarch format. The Monarch format was all about pivot turns. Um, it was ridiculous. Hayden, give me some other fundamentals from just fundamentals that we kind of learned in 2021. Obviously, we yeah. knew about them slightly, but before that, I don't think we were employing them to this level. Yeah, I think maybe we probably knew about them, but we've, we've also honed those during testing and there have been things that we're focused on. So I think defending efficiently, um, utilizing our equipment to the fullest, these have been things that we've really learned about understanding the transitions between mid sorry start mid and end game and what your role is as as the in those those phases i think is like really key fundamentals um and just extrapolating the understanding of value out of cards so you know um i I take two damage but actually i just traded for two of my opponent's best cards for two of my worst cards for example you know like there's this concept of trading and i think it's it's that fundamental in particular is really interesting because it's something that's not talked about much in flesh and blood because that's like a thing in other TCGs, but the, the concept of value is very different in Flesh and Blood, and it's, it's, I think it's a bit harder to understand. But yeah, those are probably the main ones. Um, 
from from this year that I think we've we've really sort of tried to hone in on and, and improve on as players. Yeah, for sure, and they'll just become ever more important as you know the skill cap of players in the game increases and the player the player pool increases as well. It forces you to really have solid fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think for me the the last one number five for me actually wraps up a lot of these fundamentals and that is for me my probably number five because the is becoming a much more proficient player at playing both sides of the table and this is you know what i mean by that is i play my side i understand the fundamentals but i also try and play from the other side of the table understand what my opponent's trying to do when they're trying to do it and what cards they're probably trying to play or set up um, I think I probably learned the most about this during the Monarch sealed season. <laughs> you talked about pivot turns before, Brendan. Yeah. One of the things that I think helped me improve pivot turns and, and get really good at, at understanding pivot turns was understanding when my opponent was trying to pivot. So not just when I wanted to pivot, but understanding, actually, hold up, when does my opponent want to pivot? What does their pivot turn look like based on what I know they're playing, how much life they're on, how they've like used their cards, how they've sequenced their cards. So how, are they trying to keep a card in Arsenal here? Are they trying to sequence a pivot turn right now? Are they trying to set it up? Um, and that kind of knowledge, I think, I would call it like counter pivoting, for instance. So like my opponent tries to set up a pivot and I actually unleash a pivot before they do so that they kind of ruins theirs um, is like probably one of the, the biggest pieces for me. It's about understanding, or for me, it's been about understanding what, what my opponent's game plan is, trying to recognize that as quickly as possible, try and get onto their side of the table and be like, okay, actually, it looks like they're going to try and fatigue me. Oh, actually, no, it looks like they're going to try and attack me for the first five or six turns and then they're going to find a point in the game where they try and fatigue me out after that you know if i use playing chain and rotor nationals as an example um it's sure. probably this level up has probably been how i've won so many of my tight games i think about orlando uh i played a lot of i think i played three or four briar mirrors i think one of them or two of them were earth uh, briar but the the mirrors i think came down to for me personally i think came down to me understanding what my opponent was trying to do on given turns and that helping me to go back to my fundamentals using my equipment at the right times because i understood what my opponent was trying to do on those turns and how they were going to end up trying to win the game um and i can think back to like some really punishing lessons i've had on this where i've like you know welcome to wraith draft i've died to an open the center with dominate because i wasn't playing the other side of the table and recognizing that that, that was probably really clearly what my opponent was trying to set up but i just blanked on it um so yeah i mean it's it's my number five but it's been one of my biggest in terms of game wins i think yeah this was like the first thing i encountered when i started playing games with hayden it was really tilting it's because we were focusing a lot on the monarch uh sealed format is that you know i would the monarch was a lot of us you would set up the entire game kind of for one big pivot turn and Hayden would always, he had a, he had like a sixth sense for disrupting me right before I was about to do that. It's definitely a lesson that I, uh, you know, had to learn the hard way. Uh, yeah, I think that was probably the start of it for me. That's when I was really trying to start to understand those, those ideas like counter pivoting and just trying to play the other side of the table. And it's, yeah, it's, it's a skill that doesn't have, I guess, um, it's really hard to quantify exactly what the key parts of that skill are. But just some of the things I talked about, I think are ways where you can start to think about that, really trying to understand how your opponent's trying to win the game. Why are they doing the things they're doing? Why are they sequencing the way they're sequencing? You know, are they holding a lightning press in hand by based on the way that they're playing their cards out? Like, okay, hold up. They played a, um, uh, what's the fuse card? The one that gives go again if you fuse a lightning card. I'm so bad with names sometimes. Um, entwine so. lightning. Entwine lightning. Oh, entwine then, yeah. They play an entwine lightning, uh, but they don't reveal a card. But I'm pretty sure, based on what I've seen so far, that they have the ability to do that. Why are they not doing that? Uh, why are they instead using their lightning token on this? Or like, there's all these different 
things you can think about from your opponent's side of the, the board and sequencing and and to be honest, one of the best ways is uh, is playing that deck one or two times, three or four times, and understanding, you know, how you should sequence the plays in that deck, and then why your opponent's doing differently. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, all right. <laughs> well, that wraps up our uh, you know our big takeaways from twenty twenty one. It's been a it's been a huge year for for Flesh and Blood. We've grown so 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 much. The game looks almost unrecognizable from where it was uh, just a year ago. And I think that that's going to continue for for the next few years at least, right? As we, we we're still young and we're growing so much, and the introduction of all these different competitive uh, play tournaments, you know, the Pro Tour and Worlds coming up, the million dollars that we have set up for that, it's just going to be incredible. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I guess if there's any of the the points that we've covered today that you'd love to hear more about in the future, let us know. Like uh, some of these we have covered in previous pods, or we've spoken about them over different sort of you know um content pieces but you know we could wrap these up again in terms of expanding on some of these if they're ones that you want to hear about so do let us know in the comments but otherwise thank you to everyone for this year happy happy new year to to everyone and we'll see you in 2022 right brennan for sure and the year isn't over until i start chilling so i'm going to plug the arsenal path youtube channel like Hayden's head at the top of the pod, we do have tons of content in there, including gameplay, time of the round, where we host a member from the community. Go give it a listen. It's pretty much my favorite section that we do, as well as deck techs and tons of other miscellaneous stuff. So check out the Arsenal Pass YouTube. We are still shooting for that. 3,000 subs by the end of the day. We're so, so, so close. But um, I'm starting to lose hope, Hayden. I don't know. But we'll see. We're only like 100 or 200 away. Who knows? Anyway, Hayden and I are both on Twitter. Hayden is located at Fendel, F-Y-E-N underscore Dale, and I am located at Brendan APG. You can find us there. We love engaging with you all on Twitter. And finally, the Arsenal Pass uh, channel does have a Patreon. Our Patreon does have tons of extra content, including extra podcasts, a not no longer a monthly live session, but now a monthly gameplay breakdown. So most recently, Hayden and I broke down the Hong Kong Nationals finals game. Uh, we did a full kind of commentary and breakdown and all that fun stuff because it did <laughs> it uh, it contained some chain deck stacking, so it was really fun for us. But we have stuff like that on there as well. If we have a deck tech on Arsenal Pass, we host the um, the sideboard guide, you know, deck theory, ratios, everything you need to pick it up and start being competitive on the Patreon there. So anyway, until next time, we'll see you in the next one. See you later.